The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with global markets in turmoil following a sharply lower session for Wall Street yesterday. Futures pointing to more losses at the open. At the center of all this selling are banks, and specifically shares of Silicon Valley Bank shedding billions of dollars in market value and set to open sharply lower again this morning as some of its biggest clients rush to pull out their funds. But it's not just SVB, the staggering stat that you have to hear about related to the four biggest banks in the U.S. as traders sell first and they ask questions later. Also this morning, awaiting the February jobs report, we speak with one major employer with an on-the-ground perspective, and then later, perhaps a knock-on from the bank slide or something more as crypto prices crash and Bitcoin at its lowest level since January. It is Friday, March the 10th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. Happy Friday, too. Let's start this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. They are lower this morning following that big sell off on Wall Street. However, they are off their session lows, something to watch throughout the morning and the show. This after yesterday's sharp sell-off that really didn't hit its full stride until late into the trading day. The hardest-hit sector by far this week are the financials, down more than 4% yesterday for their worst day since June of 2020. We're seeing it right here, down 4%. You see the sharp downturn as the day went on. All right, we're going to have much more on that in the show, obviously. Coming up, uh, we're also checking the bond market right now. Yields coming off their highs as investors flock to that sector. We see the two-year continues to now just be below 5%, though. We're seeing it at 4.84. Still seeing the inverted yield curve. Yields on the 10-year note also down slightly at 3.85. Yesterday, it was about 3.95. Again, something we'll continue to watch this show. And in energy, however, we're not seeing a lot of movement in the oil market. We're seeing oil pretty much flat from where it was yesterday. WTI crude at 75 bucks a barrel, down three-quarters of a percent. Brent crude at 81 bucks a barrel, actually a little lower, down a half a percent this morning. Natural gas down more than a percent and a half. A lot to talk about when it comes to that in the energy market. Also in crypto, we're seeing some of the biggest moves. Bitcoin sharply lower in the past 24 hours, now below that 20,000 mark. For a while, it was 25,000. Now back below that 20,000 mark, down 3% this morning. Again, much more on this story coming up. But first, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom. Juliana, a lot of red on that board as well. That's right, Frank. Good morning. The uh, sell-off that we saw late in the day on Wall Street has created quite a negative backdrop for trade across the globe. In the Asian session, the Nikkei 225 in Japan pulled back about 1.7%. Bank of Japan holding its uh, policy meeting, keeping rates uh, unchanged and the yield curve policy also unchanged. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong underperforming, dropping 3%. We had HSBC heavily uh, underperform overnight, joining that sell-off in the banking sector. Shanghai Composite in the mainland 
mainland down 1.4%. In China, uh, the big news overnight, China's Xi Jinping formally beginning his historic third term as president. As for European markets, it is red here as well. Uh, pretty heavy selling as well, Frank, in terms of the magnitude. FTSE 100 down 2%. We've got uh, Fr- the French market, CAC 40, down about 1.4%. On the geopolitical front, in Paris today, President Macron meeting with Rishi Sunak, the UK Prime Minister, for the first time in nearly five years for a bi- bilateral meeting as they try to uh, improve the relationship post-Brexit. Zetradax in Germany down about 1.6%. And Frank, much like you saw late in the day yesterday, it is really really all about the banks in Europe. So here's a look for you at the individual movers. Uh, the banking index down more than uh, 4% at one stage. Right now we've got Deutsche Bank, the worst hit among them, down 7.6%. HSBC, I flagged there in the overnight session, suffering some steep losses. And as you can see in Europe this morning, that bank is down more than 5%. And it is really broad-based. Investors selling these banks uh, quite quickly and quite heavily this morning. Frank? Right. Our Juliana Tatabom live in London. Thank you, Juliana. Sticking with the weakness across the banking sector, we continue to watch shares of Silicon Valley Bank. Our Silvana Hanau is here with the latest on that story. Good morning, Silvana. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, that's right. So shares of Silicon Valley Bank set to extend yesterday's massive losses this morning. After shedding more than 60 percent yesterday, the stock is set to open down another almost 30 percent today. And today, headwinds for the bank compounding in the past 24 hours, Frank. It looks to shore up its capital reserves. Now, numerous reports this morning that Peter Thiel's Founders Fund is advising its companies to pull money from Silicon Valley Bank, even as SVB CEO calls for calm. And it's not just Teal. Sources tell CNBC, Kotu Management, Union Square Ventures, Founders Collective, and as many as 15 other VCs are pulling or considering withdrawing their money from Silicon Valley Bank. The lone standout is Andreessen Horowitz, which is advising its clients to withdraw all but $250,000, which is federally insured. Also weighing in this morning, Pershing Square CEO Bill Ackman tweeting the failure of Silicon Valley Bank could, quote, destroy and long-term driver of the economy. And he is calling for a partial government bailout, Frank. Yeah, Bill Ackman with a series of tweets on the matter. Something to watch. We're actually going to talk a little bit more about that right now. Savannah Hanal, we'll see you later on the show. All right, as I mentioned, sticking with stocks and futures under pressure again this morning. Right now, we're seeing right across the board here. The Dow looks like at this point, still again, very early, could open up more than 150 points lower. The Nasdaq, surprisingly, the least impacted by all this. This after yesterday's late sell-off that saw all three major indexes extend their losing streaks to three straight session. Financial stocks leading the market lower with the sector coming off of its worst day since June of 2020. Joining me now to discuss, Linda Bakshin, Senior Portfolio Manager and Senior Vice President at Federated Hermes. Linda, thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, so Linda, so much talk about Silicon Valley Bank, a small bank, at least relatively compared to a J.P. Morgan or a city, and reportedly really serves a niche market tech company, particularly startups. Why is there so much concern about the issues for this particular bank? This particular bank is, you know, much more of a liquidity crunch. And I think the market is conflicting systematic issues with specific company issues that Silicon Valley is uh, experiencing. But we are coming into a week where the Fed is raising potentially 50 basis points. You had a conference where net interest margins were under pressure as key bank status. So earnings are potentially under pressure. You also had Silvergate closing its gates because of crypto. So Silicon Valley is just another um, another issue on top of everything else that the investors have experienced this week. 
However, Silicon Valley itself is not a systematic issue. The banks themselves, the JP Morgans, Bank of Americas of the world, are fine. This particular one is much more of a you know, liquidity bank crunch and very much stock specific. All right. So you're saying the big banks are fine. But I, I want to talk to you about this. We've heard a lot of portfolio managers say banks and financials are more attractive because of the rising rate environment. But when we look so far this year, we've seen them underperform riskier assets. Things like the ARK Innovation ETF have outperformed banks. Um, the triple Qs have outperformed banks. So why are we seeing investors run to these riskier assets during a time when banks should be outperforming? Well, there's really, in my mind, two reasons. One, the net interest margins are coming down. Deposits are are leaving. So there's a lot more churn in the, that deposit. And hence, the net interest margins are getting pressured means earnings are getting pressured. And second, I think it's really more about an economic issue. Are we going to a hot landing or a soft landing? If it is a hot landing issue, then credit comes into question. So the whole you know, growth potential of, of financials of the next six to 12 months is, you know, a little bit murkier than right. it was maybe, you know, three to six months ago. And hence, valuations haven't really hit rock bottom to make that sector hugely attractive versus some of the tech companies that were hit pretty hard last year. All right. No, else is a little bit murky what the Fed's going to do. We're going to get a little bit more visibility with the jobs report today. Jay Powell's testimony and in it, he said he was going to watch and follow the data um, very quickly, what are you expecting for this jobs report and how do you see the market reacting today? You know, I think the, the market will react. If, if it's too hot, then the market will probably be selling off. If it's, if it's cooler, I think the market will have a sigh of relief. However, I think the jobs number in itself, there's 100,000 you know, plus or minus you know, margin of error here. I think that in combination with the hourly earnings and labor participation is really key to watch here. But Fed wants to slow the economy down, and I think that's really the important part here. They are going to, they do want to see that um, that employment uh, market weaken a lot more to contain wage inflation. You know, you're making a great point, Linda. It's not just jobs; it's also wages. Thanks for that point, Linda Baxton. Great to have you here. Thank you again. All right, when we come back here on WEX, much more in the market sell-off and the banking sector. While my next guest says this is an opportunity to buy. Plus, awaiting the February jobs report, we speak with one CEO employing about 12,000 restaurant workers across the country. But first, Chinese President Xi Jinping solidifies his place of power. We are live in Beijing next. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
All right, welcome back. Turning our attention to China now, President Xi Jinping making history this morning as he formally begins an unprecedented third term as the leader of that country. Lawmakers there voting in the largely ceremonial procedure as Xi further increases his already firm grasp on power in the world's second largest economy. Our Eunice Yoon joins us now from Beijing with more on what Xi's third term will mean for China. Good morning, Eunice. Good morning, Frank. Uh, Well, the decision, uh, surprise, surprise, was unanimous uh, in a vote of 2,952 to zero. So with that vote, uh, President Xi is now uh, becoming the longest serving Chinese leader since Chairman Mao. And the first foreign leader to congratulate him was Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, what's um, important is that at the National People's Congress, the lawmakers also approved a reform plan that will restructure the government and essentially put a lot of more a lot more uh, power into the hands of President Xi and especially in areas that are important to the president. Uh, For example, a new commission has been created to uh, promote the self-reliance in technology. Um, As you know, self-reliance has been a mantra here, especially when it comes to technology development uh, with an eye on the U.S., a big topic here um, during the Congress. Also, regulatory oversight of financials and another uh, new agency that would look at data development and security. So two other big areas of concern for President Xi. Uh, President Xi is also uh, going to be uh, more directly handling the public complaints, um, the, uh, um, the, the ministry that uh, looks at public complaints. And then the uh, uh, tighter reins would be on Social Security. And there's some discussion that uh, Hong Kong affairs could also be directly managed by President Xi and his top uh, uh, compatriots. Now, uh, over the weekend, we are going to be learning more who's going to be taking the top jobs in economic planning, for example, at the central bank and the premier post. Uh, But for the most part, uh, Frank, as you could imagine, uh, the overall direction about economic policy looks to be more Xi. All right. So as you mentioned, uh, Xi's re-election, mostly ceremonial. I think we all expected it to happen. But what can we expect as far as impact when it comes to Chinese corporations? Well, it's difficult to say. On the one hand, there are quite a few voices here who say that uh, some of the changes are going to be positive for Chinese companies as well as uh, multinational companies here. And more specifically, people are talking about the financial regulator, that uh, there's been a lot of overlap when it comes to the regulatory bodies. So this is one way to try to cut out some of that bureaucracy and red tape. Um, On the other hand, though, uh, it's really difficult to say exactly how this is all going to pan out because uh, the um, overall um, indications have been that President Xi is much more, uh, when he's able to take more control, uh, which is very often, that uh, he does want to take more control and uh, have the um, Communist Party have more influence. All right, Eunice Yoon, live in Beijing. Eunice, great to see you as always. All right, coming up here on WEX, your big money movers and why shares of this cloud stock are falling ahead of the open. Your mystery chart, it will be revealed coming up next. Stay with us. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. 
Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to WEX. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories in the morning. We begin with Oracle. Shares falling about 4.5% after the company's cloud business has just failed to meet expectations for higher growth, despite topping earnings expectations for its fiscal third quarter. On the call last night, Chairman Larry Ellison also weighing in on AI and chat GPT, comparing it to Oracle's own AI tech. We've actually shown, uh, or I should say MD Anderson has actually shown, if you use this system, you reduce hospital admissions and readmissions by 30%. That's a stunning number. It's, people talk about chat GPT being really cool because it can write my high school essay for me. Well, how about reducing the hospital readmissions at MD Anderson by 30%? You decide which is more important. All right, turn our attention to the retail sector. Gap also tumbling, shares down about 8.5% after missing on the top and the bottom lines um, the fourth qu- for the fourth quarter and warning of a first quarter and full year revenue drop. The retailer, which also owns Banana Republic, Old Navy, and Athleta, also announcing a series of executive changes in the search for a permanent CEO. And Ulta Beauty shares are down despite top and bottom line beats and upbeat forward guidance. Ulta sales benefiting from the overall resilience of the beauty category. As shoppers continue to budget for affordable luxuries like makeup and wellness products, especially during celebration seasons. All right, now turning our attention to Apple and sticking with your morning movers, Apple kicking off its annual shareholder meeting today as investors seek product updates and more insight into Apple's business in China. Shares of Apple outperforming the broader markets up more than 15 percent this year compared to the S&P 500's 200, uh, excuse me, 2 percent gain, not 200, the Nasdaq's 8 percent gain. For more on what to expect, let's bring in Gene Munster, Deepwater Asset Management Managing Partner. I can't get the words out, Gene, but I'm glad you're here. I know you have the answers for us. Big shareholder meeting. Nine proposals on the docket. Is there one that shareholders and investors should pay pay attention to especially? Frank, there is, and that is proposal number six, which was brought up by shareholders. So there's four coming from management, five coming from shareholders. Proposal number six is about an audit annual audit in terms of how Apple is doing its business in China, its suppliers, its political connections. It is unlikely that that passes. Uh, I think that in part because Apple management is recommending that you vote no for the five shareholder proposals. But that one did jump out at me. And I think it what it does speak, even though it won't pass, I think it does speak to what will be one of the uh, well-traveled storylines within the Q&A and that, of course, is Apple and its exposure to China. And uh, that, that there's two basic layers to it, which I suspect, and this is, again, the juicy part of the event today, is going to be this Q&A. There's two layers to the China conversation when it comes to Apple. One is, of course, the supply chain. About just under 60% of their revenue is, comes and manufactured from China today. And ultimately, they are diversifying away from that, about three-quarters of all new Production facilities are being opened up outside of China. That was in 2021, the last audit that we had. And the second is on the demand side in China. Yeah, a lot of that production also moving to India. Uh, We mentioned Apple stock outperforming. Something else you're watching, um, the number of active devices for Apple, about $2 right now. But it's really the growth number that you're watching, 8% growth last quarter. How meaningful is this? And what does that tell us about the Apple ecosystem? It's remarkable. 
just to put the $2 billion, that's a big number. You have the law of large numbers growing at 8%. The best comp we have is Meta. Their uh, base uh, is also a $2 billion base for the Facebook, Instagram, daily active users. And that grows at about 2%, just under 2%. So I think at the core of uh, investing in Apple, it's really a faith in that uh, flywheel of these devices. When people get a device, they buy more devices. And I think that that's what that $2 billion number that's why the stock was up on a rare miss in the December quarter was that investors slept well at night knowing that the ecosystem, that $2 billion number is growing at an unprecedented 8% rate. All right. So shareholder meeting coming up, nine proposals. You say proposal number six is the one to watch. What else can we expect? Apple has certainly been trying to diversify its business. We see some talks about a foldable product, potentially auto business has been something VR, AR. Are there any other big announcements you're expecting to come out of this meeting? Well, uh, highly unlikely we get any announcements. They may hint. I think Tim Cook will probably hint to these AR glasses. I think he'll probably say something the effect of we believe in augmented reality. Kind of a fun side point is Apple doesn't use the word metaverse because meta kind of has owned that. Uh, therefore, but that's essentially what they're talking about. I think we may get a hint to that. We're probably not going to hear anything about the car. I think that is my kind of central question. And uh, I think what is what we might get is just some indication about the pace of R&D. And you'd kind of fill in the blanks that if it's a big number, they probably are working on a car. That to me is just that's a has a huge impact potentially on where Apple stock quick numbers. Apple gets four percent share of the automotive market. That would add about 25% to their business. And it is uh, something that they're not going to tell us much about, but that's what I desperately <laughs> want to hear about. Gene, you got to stop holding us off on the juicy parts and that other good part, man. Great to have you on the show. Appreciate <laughs> the insight. You, Hope to have you back soon. Thank right. you. As we head to break, a check on some of the biggest NASDAQ laggards this week. Top of the list, Rivian, with a more than 14% decline. Worldwide Exchange, back right after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in New York City, and we're just getting started here at WEX. Here's what's still on deck. Thursday's stock sell-off set to continue as investors brace for that highly anticipated monthly jobs report. Futures are pointing to a lower open, but one of those indices actually making a turn to the positive. That broader market drop fueled by steep losses in the banking sector and the fallout over Silicon Valley Bank's future. Argus researcher Stephen Bigger is laying out whether SBB's troubles may be a signal of broader systemic risk. And crypto not being spared from the selling as New York's attorney general goes after one top coin presenting new regulatory worries. It is Friday, March the 10th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back and happy Friday. I am Frank Collins. Pick up a half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures following yesterday's sharp sell-off. Futures right now, I guess we can say they're mixed, certainly off the lows of this morning. We're seeing the Nasdaq turn slightly positive. The Dow and the S&P still in the red at this point. If the markets open up right now, the Dow would open up about 100 points lower. We're also checking the bond market. Yields coming off their highs as investors flock to that sector. The two-year now below 5%. We're seeing the two-year at 4.83. The 10-year note also off of its highs from just earlier this week down to 3.85. Inverted yield curve still something to watch as the recession concerns mount. We also are taking a look at energy. Oil Basically flat from where it's been all week long, maybe down just a little bit. WTI crude at 75 bucks a barrel, down a half a percent right now. Brent crude at 81 bucks a barrel, also down about a half a percent. Natural gas, the hardest hit this morning at least, down more than a percent. All right, let's get a look at how the early trade is shaping up over in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is back with a look now from our London newsroom. And Juliana, again, 
A lot of red arrows over there across the pond. There certainly are, Frank. Now, we have bounced off the lows of the morning, but we're hovering around them. So we've got a red for every single major borsa in the region. FTSE 100 down 1.8%. The CAC 40 down about 1.3%. Zetra DAX down 1.4%. As investors grapple with the fallout from SVB, and as you said, ponder the question of whether this is representative uh, of further risk in the broader banking sector. And judging by the reaction in the banks, there are a lot of nerves. Here's a look at how the European banks are performing. Heavy selling across this space. Deutsche Bank getting hit the worst. We're down about 7.4%. Commerce Bank also getting sold off about 3.8%. HSBC uh, in the overnight session dragged down stocks there. And now in the UK, HSBC stock down 5. So it is a broad-based sell-off in the banking sector. Uh, More broadly, we've got uh, investors favoring the more defensive parts of the market, as you would expect in this risk-off environment. So the utilities sector is uh, actually trading higher this morning, up about two-tenths of a percent. Food and beverage, uh, telecoms and household household goods, as well as healthcare, also showing to be more resilient. So investors clearly looking to put their money into uh, those assets, which are typically considered more defensive. On the downside, there is banks right out at the bottom, down 3.8%. Financial services, which houses some of the key banking stocks as well, down 2.75%. So clearly the underperformers of the morning. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. All right, turn our attention back to our top story, Silicon Valley Bank. Extending yesterday's massive losses after falling more than 60%. Shares this morning down again, down almost 40% as some of tech's biggest VCs like Peter Thiel, tell clients to pull their money. The sudden share collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and separate but equally troubling liquidation and shutdown at Silvergate Capital, sending shockwaves throughout the banking sector. Taking a look at the four biggest U.S. banks, all coming off a sharply lower session yesterday, with Bank of America getting hit the hardest. You can see down um, 6.2% there. All together, the big four shed about $52 billion in market value in just one day. And week to date, the largest laggards on the S&P are all the bank stocks. Joining me now, Stephen Bigger, Director of Financial Services at Argus Research. Stephen, good morning. Thank you for being here. I think the big question, your phone's probably ringing off the hook with clients, is what we're seeing here. Is this an isolated incident or is this a sign of systemic risk? Well, good morning, Frank. Uh, Yeah, I I think it's isolated. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank had two issues that are, uh, you know, Put it in the specialty category uh, for one, and I, and I think uh, you know just trouble spots. One is a, a very high deposit ratio in terms of a funding source, and you know we find out when venture capital firms, others, you know uh, these uh, startups rather want to uh, remove funds, it's, it puts uh, undue pressure really on the on the organization. Uh, and secondly, of course, catering to a, a specific uh, area of the economy in terms of a technology startup. So. You know, I don't think this is a uh, reason for for worry. Uh, yesterday's bank performances, uh, you know, clearly had the the air of contagion fears, uh, but I, I don't think this is something that is uh, systemic in the in the bank industry. All right, so you're saying there's not a, a big reason to worry, but some other people have differing opinions. Um, Bill Ackman, for example, last night he sent out a tweet basically calling for a bank bailout. I want to read you the tweet. He says the risk of failure and deposit losses here is that the next least well capitalized bank faces a run and fails, and the dominoes continue to fall. Uh, He goes on to say that's why government intervention should be considered. What do you think about this? You just told me you don't think there's risk of contagion, but is the fear of contagion potentially a a risk unto itself? 
Well, it, it always is that that fear factor uh, clearly, but I, I think he's referring uh, specifically to Silicon Valley Bank uh, and uh, and a potential uh, bailout you know scenario. Um, you know, I, I think there are there are reasons to uh, not like the bank group uh, today. And uh, those would be, you know, the Fed unable to to stick that soft landing and having delinquencies rise uh, too high, uh, massive, you know, increases in credit losses and, and loss provisioning. Uh, also, the the very weak capital markets. We've had a dismal start to the year uh, again in terms of capital formation. Um, but but the Silicon Valley Bank situation, I, I don't think again is going to be systemic uh, and uh, and cause bank runs uh, outside of uh, some of these firms that are uh, worried about uh, meeting uh, you know payrolls and, and and funding their own uh, growth situation uh, and again very targeted to uh, to startups in the technology space. All right, so we've been talking about the big banks for the most part, but yesterday we saw the KRE Regional Bank ETF fall eight percent as well. Uh, whether it's big banks or regional banks or even just small banks. Are there other areas in financials that have treasury holdings that you believe could be concerning or troubling going forward? Well, there are some smaller uh, regional banks that might have some pockets of, of overexposure to single sectors, uh, and uh, that, that might be of, of some concern. Uh, we cover the, you know, the very large banks, the, the systemically important institutions, um, which have just you know phenomenal uh, capital cushions that have a, a wide variety of funding sources uh, in terms of deposits and other uh, sources of funding, uh, and that would not be you know at at risk uh, from from this type of uh, uh, contagion. So uh, yes, there, there are there pockets of of weakness. Uh, sure, you know the the Fed uh, has highlighted uh, this notion of of the uh, having the available for sale. Uh, and held for uh, till maturity uh, losses in, in bank portfolios now exceeded about six hundred billion, um, and banks don't need to take those losses if they hold them to maturity. Uh, so you know, and I, I think that's where the, the the vast majority of the banking sector is uh, not forced into a position of selling, um, and again having a very a broad distribution of funding sources, uh, particularly at the, at, for their deposit levels. All right, Stephen Bigger of Argus Research, we have to leave the conversation there. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. All right. Turn our attention now to the ongoing pullback in crypto. Prices across the space falling sharply amid the continued fallout of the liquidation at Silvergate Capital, plus new macroeconomic and regulatory concerns. Silvana Hanau has the latest. Silvana? Yeah, Frank. Well, Ethereum among the crypto seeing a massive price pullback. This after New York's attorney general classified the world's second largest coin as a security in part of a lawsuit against crypto exchange KuCoin. Now, classifying Ether as a security means it could eventually fall under the regulatory umbrella of the SEC and its commissioner, Gary Gensler. The lawsuit by Letitia James against KuCoin, the fourth largest crypto exchange by volume, claims it violated the law by selling commodities and securities that were not properly registering in New York State. It adds that KuCoin offered an Ether staking product similar to that to the one that got Kraken in trouble with the SEC. Crypto investors also grappling with President Biden's new budget proposals and rules to close a loophole and eliminate investors' ability to take advantage of losses to lower their tax bills. The plan would subject crypto to the same so-called wash sales rules that apply to stocks and bonds. And Frank, along with Ether, Bitcoin also down sharply, now below $20,000 and hitting its lowest level since January. Certainly something to watch. Savannah yeah. now. thank you very much. Yeah. All right, coming up here on WEX, investors gearing up for that critical monthly jobs report in just a few hours. 
We talked to a CEO in one key sector and whether he's seeing the same hiring boom as some of his contemporaries. But first, as we had to break, some of your top trending stories. Apple launching a new music streaming service focused on classical music. The Apple offers subscribers access to more than 5 million classical music tracks, hundreds of curated playlists, and thousands of exclusive items. Wing, the Alphabet-owned drone delivery company, announcing it will start expanding its delivery system beyond its original test cities starting this year. The company's Wing Delivery Network platform hopes to enhance the last-mile delivery process involving a package's movement from its second-to-last stop to its final destination. And Marvel movies may soon be getting some fresh faces to their superhero lineups. Disney CEO Bob Iger saying he wants Marvel Studios to focus on new characters and pushing back on using familiar faces for a third or fourth time. Iger's comments coming on the heels of some disappointing box office performance for the third Ant-Man movie. Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. All right, time now for another round of big money movers. First up, Allbirds shares of the apparel maker tumbling after it reported a wider fourth quarter loss and revenue dropped 13 percent, missing forecast. Shares are down more than 23 percent. The company announcing a new strategic transformation plan to spark growth and improve cost. Allbirds also says its CFO is stepping down. DocuSign dropping today despite reporting better than expected fourth quarter results. The maker of e-signature software also issuing first quarter guidance that was in line with estimates. DocuSign announcing its CFO will resign later this year. Last month, the company cut 10 percent of its workforce following an early round of layoffs last fall. Shares are down nearly 12 percent. The Old Resort's second quarter earnings missing forecast, although revenue came in just above estimates. The company cutting its guidance for the year due to significant weather disruptions. Vail says its western U.S. resorts were hit by travel disruptions during the holidays and Lake Tahoe by severe snowstorms, while its eastern resorts also saw extreme weather. Shares are down 1.5%. Investors waiting one of the most important economic data points of the month due out in just under three hours from right now, the February jobs report. Economists forecasting employers added about 225,000 new jobs last month, much lower than that blowout, 517,000 number from January. The unemployment rate expected to hold steady at 3.4%. A key sector to watch will be leisure and hospitality. In January alone, net job gains in the space totaled nearly 130,000. Let's get some on-the-ground insight with one of those employers. Chris Tommaso is the CEO of First Watch, a fast-casual restaurant group with 474 locations across 29 states, employing around 12,000 people. Chris, good morning, and thank you for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Frank. All right, so we're awaiting this jobs report. You obviously have real-time insight into the jobs market. Give us a sense of what it's like to hire people right now. I know about 46% of your employees are full-time, about 54% are part-time. Yeah, we have about 13,000 employees across the United States and all of our restaurants. And I have to say for us, um, you know, hiring hasn't been a challenge. Uh, we're fully staffed on the hourly level. We're fully staffed on the management level with enough um, to support our, our growth. We've been the fastest growing full service restaurant company in America the last couple of years. And so I think that opportunity and that that uh, that growth helps us attract uh, the best and the brightest. And we're a daytime only concept. And 
we think that's a key differentiator for us to ability to hire. So uh, much easier now and today than it was uh, in the early days of the recovery of COVID. You know, I got to be honest, Chris, I've never been to one. Our producer, Evan Falk, was telling me about it. I got to check it out. We're looking at pictures of it right now. Um, I want to talk to you about inflation and also consumer spending. Um, I see your same store sales increased almost 15 percent year over year. Is that a sign that consumers are willing to spend or do they just have to spend because things are more expensive? We've seen um, an incredibly resilient consumer. I think, uh, you know, that could be said pretty much board. For us, you know, um, when we're thinking about the consumer and, and looking at their behaviors and, and any red flags, we're not seeing anything. You know, typically, you would see a consumer manage their check by maybe ordering, uh, you know, not ordering a beverage or, or managing their check other ways. We're not seeing that. We're seeing our beverage attachment up. Um, we're seeing our traffic up. So, again, we're, we're seeing a very resilient consumer, and that was um, illustrated in our recent earnings report. All right. So we're seeing a lot of rate hikes that are obviously increasing the cost of just about anything. That's their intent to slow down the economy. How does that impact you? Is there a certain level, let's say, uh, you know, car financing gets to or, or mortgage rates gets to that actually eats into your business? No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, we, we do watch that. Um, we've been very conservative on our pricing uh, with a, a goal of maintaining or improving our relative and absolute value. I think consumer has experienced tremendous inflation. Uh, you know, in grocery. So, uh, you know, make meals at home. Uh, we've tried to shrink that and, and make it more appealing to go out to eat. We're in affordable luxury. We, uh, uh, you know, our per person average is around $16.50. So uh, we feel like we're in a good sweet spot um, for the consumer uh, as they become more discriminant as far as where they, uh, you know, spend $90. Yeah, Chris, we're looking at your food. I'm starting to get hungry. But on a serious <laughs> note, you mentioned grocery inflation. How does that impact your business and your bottom line? When you see inflation of commodities in general, that obviously is what you serve, you know, wheat, bread, eggs, et cetera. Yeah, so, you know, our, our philosophy, our pricing philosophy has pretty much been to raise prices only enough to cover inflation. Um, we took a bit of a, of a deviation from that over the past couple of years. We didn't take any menu price in 2021, even we had significant commodity inflation. Uh, and we've gotten back to a regular cadence of our, our price increases this past year, but uh, this past quarter. But, um, you know, we've really been focusing on travel and getting more consumers in our restaurants and, um, you know, maybe taking a little bit hit on the margin, working harder, uh, our, our culinary and, and, and supply chain team and in working with our partners on that. We were all negatively impacted by avian flu last year, and, and we think that's transitory. So we didn't want to make a permanent decision on something we felt was transitory. And so we constantly keep the, the value proposition in mind for our consumers. And like I said, we've been uh, much more conservative than, than pretty much everybody else in our industry. All right. First watch share is up almost 12 percent year to date. You know what else? I'm producing your next segment, man. I'm inviting you back. We're going to have you and the head chef here in studio. You're making me hungry with this stuff. Chris Tomaso, thank you we'll so much. You, for being. We'll bring you whatever you'd like. We'd, <laughs> we'd love to be. Thank you very much. Great to have you on today. Thank you. Right. Ahead here on WEX, the market sell off set to roll on with futures pointing to a lower open. Decatur Capital's Degas Wright standing by with the names he's finding opportunity in amid renewed volatility. And throughout the month of March, we're celebrating women's heritage. Sharing the stories of women leaders in business and those of our CNBC teammates and contributors. As we head to break, here is our own Deirdre Bosa. 
I grew up with three brothers in Toronto, all of them hockey players. One day as I was watching one of their games in a cold arena, I was shivering next to my dad. He turned to me and he said, why aren't you playing? The next week I was on the ice and I learned something valuable. Just get out there and try. You can keep up. I played hockey for years and I carried that empowerment with me in other areas of life and career. So my advice for other women is don't sit in the stands. You can not only keep up, but you can lead. All right, welcome back to WEX. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Oracle shares falling on a third-quarter revenue miss after failing to meet growth expectations for its cloud business. CEO Safra Katz signing in part total revenue of the company's two cloud businesses for its earnings beat. Chinese President Xi Jinping formally beginning an unprecedented third term as that country's leader. Lawmakers there are voting on approval in a largely ceremonial procedure. TikTok reportedly hiring a top consulting firm with connections to the Biden administration amid increasing scrutiny from Washington. According to Politico, the Chinese-owned app has tapped SKDK to provide communication support to the company. Nissan's electric vehicle comeback has reportedly been stalled. According to Reuters, production of new versions of its Aria model have been hit with problems at the company's production line. Former President Trump has been invited to testify before a New York grand jury investigating hush money payments made on behalf of his presidential campaign back in 2016. This according to one of his lawyers who says it's unclear if the jury would proceed with what could be the first criminal case ever brought against a former U.S. president. And vinyl records outselling CDs for the first time in nearly 40 years. An industry trade group reporting about 41 million vinyl albums sold last year compared to 33 million CDs. And gearing up for the trading day ahead, the big item is that February jobs report set to be released at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We also get the monthly federal budget statement at 2 p.m. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen testifying before the House Ways and Means Committee on President Biden's budget proposal. That hearing starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. And Apple is holding its annual shareholders meeting. That kicks off virtually at noon. Ahead of the jobs report, markets look to be in for more pain today, although that could change depending on the data at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. The Dow, the Nasdaq, the S&P, and the Russell all closing below their 200-day moving averages, all potential bearish signals. Let's bring in Degas Wright, founder, CEO, and CIO at Decatur Capital and a CNBC contributor. So, Degas, got to talk to you about the futures right now, of course. Off their lows, we saw the Nasdaq swing into the green just for a bit. Uh, Jobs report coming up before the bell. What are you expecting? Yeah, so, Frank, it's a pleasure to be on with you. And I recently met with my investor dinner group comprised of economists, business owners, and wealth managers. And we feel that the, uh, first of all, the Fed's going to continue to control uh, inflation. And so we're going to be in this trading range because the Fed's going to continue to hike rates for longer. Uh, and we're probably going to be in this range from 3700 to 4100 We believe that the non-farms uh, payroll will come in hotter than expected at 225000 and we're believing that we're going to see a 50 basis point rate hike coming up. Oh, so you already believe the 50, boys, 50 basis point hike is going to happen regardless of the jobs report, regardless of CPI next week. Yeah, so once again, we're seeing that the Fed's going to have to control interest rates. And one of the things a lot of people are saying that uh, when they drop down to 25 base point, that may have been too soon because we really have to control inflation. So moving to 50 basis point is what we're forecasting. Very interesting. So 
Despite what Jay Powell said, you already see it kind of uh, baked in there. So I also want to talk to you about what we're seeing in, in banking. Um, do you believe there's systemic risk when it comes to the banking sector? Obviously, that's one of the factors weighing on the markets today. Well, Frank, what we're seeing is that this is an opportunity to focus on companies with competitive advantage. And those are the companies that have leaders that's going to focus on the big bet. It's going to be companies that have success momentum and also those companies that are building a moat around their business. We like European banks. You've spoken some of that today. We like a bank like Banco Babio, which is a Spain-based bank with primary markets in Spain and Mexico. Its competitive advantage is this digital transformation that's serving as a catalyst for efficiency and growth. It has uh, increased its net interest margin by 49%, and it's returning value to shareholders at 6% dividend yield. So it's interesting that you have a European bank pick. We're going to show, can we show the European bank wall again? Um, a lot of those stocks in the red right now. Is there one of those European banks that you would actually just stay away from? Well, once again, we want to focus on those banks that are having that competitive advantage. For instance, uh, Banco. So you have to be very careful. And also the banks that are really focused on their net margin interest and also those banks that have really strong balance sheets. And we're seeing a lot of that in the European banks. All right. We'll get to your stock picks, too, as well, Degas. You got some interesting ones. I got to say some names that we don't really talk about very often. We just hit on one of them, uh, BBVA. I want to get on another one in the logistics space. Ticker M-A-N-H, Manhattan Associates, actually a logistics software company. Yeah, so Manhattan Associates, once again, let's look at this competitive advantage. The leadership of the company is focusing on its research and development investment into a tune of about 15% of revenue. And so what that has allowed it to do is build a moat of innovation. It has a cash return on invested capital of 81% and no debt. All right, so you're focused on innovation. So let's get into your, your other pick. Um, more of an industrial here, Heiko, ticker HEI in the aircraft space. So not necessarily innovation. Is this a play off our defense spending and things like that? Exactly. It's going to benefit. Now, if you look at Heiko, the leadership has really focused on providing cost leadership with quality FAA-approved parts. In 1990, Heiko only had one FAA-approved part. Today, it has over 5,000 FAA-approved parts and it has a cash return on investment of 31%. And so this is a company that we really like. All right. So not a surprising pick from you, former Army Captain Degas Wright. Great to have you on as always, man. Thanks for the insight. All right, we're going to take one more quick look at the futures right now. Off their lows this morning right now, but still in the red right now as we look. Um, The NASDAQ, the least impacted right now. If the market's open, the Dow would open up about 140 points lower. Um, And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. Have a great Friday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.